Hey, everybody, you are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. So let's just tell me a little bit about co-hosting, because I think a lot of people would be really interested in that. Yeah, the most cost-effective way to get your start and to learn. So what exactly does somebody do? How do they get involved in this? Just ask like a friend or family member. You'd be surprised how many people have like rental properties or already have Airbnbs that they're just either empty or they're not making as much as they could with their tenants. It's an easy way to just go in. So I did with my parents. They were my first co-hosting client. I was like, let me take your rental property and throw it on Airbnb. I can definitely increase profits. I will do all the work. Like, there's a win-win here. Hey, everybody. I am really excited for today's podcast. I know I say that a lot, but I'm excited about this one, especially because it's going to cover a couple of different topics from pivoting in a career to building a successful real estate business Uh, and talking a lot about how to do that through being an Airbnb host and all the permutations of that business. Our guest today, Lauren Piller, is a rock star who was, I believe, a nurse who then decided to become her own boss and is now a real estate mogul. And she is going to walk us through all the steps of that journey and then give us some tips about how to build a business like this and tell us how she can help us do that. So without further ado, I've got Lauren Piller here. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. I am really excited to dig into this topic. But first and foremost, tell me about your journey as to how you got to be here today doing the whole real estate thing and what you were doing prior to that and why you changed. Yeah. um, Thanks for having me, Kimberly. Super excited to talk on this and see if I can inspire others to make these changes for their lives. So yeah, I became a nurse. Yeah. Went to school for nursing back up 2014 to 2018. Was a nurse. After a year of nursing, I quickly realized uh, what the actual healthcare system in America is like and learned how money works and the things that you are never taught in school. Were you a nurse during COVID? No, I quit right before. I, I don't know how nurses do it. I would not have made I it. I mean, I, I was, during COVID, I was just like, I, these people are amazing human beings. I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. I don't if anything, that just drove me more to make sure my businesses and Airbnb and real estate just kept growing in my investments. It just made me double down on that. But yeah, I have so much respect for healthcare workers, nurses. So why did you originally think you wanted to do nursing? What was it that made you want to do that? Uh, So I grew up in a very um, business-oriented family of entrepreneurs. So it's where I get that drive from. But also I grew up being, I'm the oldest daughter, oldest like granddaughter, cousin. So I feel like I just have like that caretaker role in me. I'm very um, into, I listen very deeply. I connect, I'm empathetic, all that good stuff. And my dad with his business mindset went to get his MBA back in the day, always told me, you know, you have the brains for business, but don't go to school for that. Go get a job where, you know, recession proof. He mentioned like be a nurse, healthcare. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be a doctor. Math, science, not my main thing, but I love helping people. And I had my own illnesses, so it just went together. So I landed on nursing, and I fell in love with it. 
Okay, so you're doing the nursing thing. You realize, okay, light bulb moment, maybe not for me. And you seem to have very good timing. So you got out of it before you had to deal with COVID as a nurse. So first of all, you obviously evolved, it sounds like, into real estate and then helping other people with real estate. So kind of a service consultation job as well as owning your own real estate, if I if I got that right. So when you were doing this pivot, you're a nurse one day. Do you just say, I'm quitting nursing today and that's the end of it? Do you have, have you saved up money? How did you prepare for this transition and, and how long did it take? Yeah, so good question. Definitely was not overnight. I was basically having to plan my escape uh, from nursing or whatever you want to call it. Um, so within a few months of starting nursing, I knew I had to get out, but I was only making enough. Like my parents had to co-sign on my first apartment with my real person job like, back in the day even. So I could imagine now. So I already, you know, had the mindset I need, I've always grew up learning how to save money. I was taught how to invest in the basics. So while I was nursing, I switched into travel nursing um, as soon as I was able to. And that's where I was able to make a lot more money. Hmm. I traveled to California, um, filled it in uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco for like two years. And that's where the pivot really came to me. And while I was doing this, I had started, um, I do like online branding and marketing and sales. So I was trying all different things. Just, I was having a mental breakdown. But Right. You were throwing your net out wide with all your talents. Yes. I was like, I'm just going to go for it at this point. I was at like, you know, that rock bottom. I couldn't do nursing. Anything was better. So as I was travel nursing, I was saving up and quickly it just accumulated. I, then I started, you know, calling my parents. I was like, what, what do I do now? I, um, cause my parents, you know, invested in real estate. So they kind of walked me through it, helped me get started. And it just started from there. I, once I realized the process of buying houses and financing and saving money, everything just kind of clicked in life and business and investing. So the travel nursing meant you could, you would go fill in, I guess, where they needed nurses in different parts of the country. And that allowed you to kind of develop this, I guess, real estate was your side hustle at the beginning. Yeah. So when was the inflection point when you said, I'm making enough money now that I don't have to do the nursing anymore? What was the moment where you just cut it off? So I guess maybe 2018 or 19, I finally had my business going that was helping to support leaving nursing. And I had enough where I was able to start investing in houses so that's when I just quit and went for it. I knew I could make enough with my marketing to get me through and pay for real estate. And then at that point, uh, I bought a house and then I just started the Airbnb and just tried it. Like I really just had no backup plan. I just went full force and started learning as I went with it. Okay, so I'm so intrigued by this. So you, so you bought a house and where did you buy the house? Like t- walk me through the decision-making process because here you are, you're about to embark on this new career of buying houses. It sounds like you rent them out through Airbnb. Do you do, so, let me lay the table a little bit better. Do you do regular rental properties? Do you like, so do, are you flipping houses? Are you buying houses for long-term rental to regular tenants? Or is your world just about the Airbnb, the buying of the house and then the vacation type rental thing or Airbnb? My main focus is Airbnbs, uh, but I have had a long-term tenants in the past. It just seems to work better and there's a market for it. And 
I was able to fill a need that I felt that's where my crossover came from leaving nursing. I had so much guilt leaving, but learning that I could help people figure out what to do with their properties. I didn't realize it was such a big gap in the market and need. So I went for that and it just picked up. It was nice. So right now you have properties that you list on Airbnb and that's your primary source of income. In addition to your consulting work, income on helping people figure out how to do this? I just have my one Airbnb right now. I've had different properties I've sold over the years, but my one I bought in 2020, that's like my main one. It's like 15 minutes from me in South Austin, which I always recommend for first timers. Just So I was very hands-on for the first year or so, figuring out what I was doing, how to own. I didn't even know how home ownership works, basic lawn maintenance. Yeah. Um, so that was a good way to get started. And then I don't, you know, being in healthcare and showing people how to, you know, take care of themselves and how to, I don't know, I'm very type A by the steps. So I wanted to know what I was doing before I even offered to help other people. I would hate to give the wrong advice. So this was, um this was not a residential purchase. It was an investment property purchase. So walk us through like step by step. So maybe somebody's listening today and they're like you, they, they really want to get into this business and they want to buy a property And so they don't know, like, how much money do I have to put down? What are the, like, the costs? Obviously, you need to consider the cost of maintaining the property. There's going to be property taxes. There's going to be insurance. Uh, You probably have a mortgage. You're going to have to gardening and all that stuff. But if you could give us, like, an example of numbers, like, you bought a house, or if someone's going to buy a house for X amount of money, what kind of loan are they getting? Is there a special kind of loan for people that aren't resident, going to live in the house? Tell us a little bit about that experience for you and what you found out. Yeah. And it's a little different for me too, because I bought right at the right time where my interest rates were like in the 3% range and stuff. Yeah. So that's where I'm also at this time trying to like I understand even buying houses as a whole. Everything's at least seems like doubled in my area, what it would have been and the same yeah. with the interest rates. So even just teaching people now, I'm trying to refocus on because people can't afford the houses. I, you know, if you can get loans, that's great. But I also show people ways you can start hosting without owning property, like co-hosting. But the basics, I try to tell people since I'm not a loan person, I'm not a realtor, I don't know taxes. But I was the basics is you need, um, you know, definitely like a W-2 job, have a sufficient amount of savings but it depends on where you are and what kind of properties you're looking into. And is your property, where would you rank it? Is it like a luxury property or kind of a semi-luxury property or basic? Is it a lodge? What is it just an apartment? Yeah. So I have a three bed, two bath house with a nice big backyard. I had a deck belt recently and renovated the inside with like a waterproof vinyl flooring, new paint, new appliances, I call my, my Airbnb very basic. A, it's a five-star, A-plus, but as basic as they come. Because I also like to show people you don't have to spend a lot of money or time. Um, it can be a side venture that still brings profitable money without it taking over your life and everything. How long do people usually rent one of these things for? And how often are you having, or is it like, are you fully booked up for the year? Or is it cyclical? Who are the types of people that are renting this from you? Okay, so that's where it's fun and varies for everyone. Uh, that's where I love marketing comes into this. So my house is, I consider it, you know, very basic, but so it allows uh, a big yard. So I let um, usually families with smaller children or couples with pets 
it's good for all types of people. So I like that I'm not limited. If you're like in a more metropolitan area, if you have a smaller condo or something, you can usually just have like two to three or four people, no pets, and it takes away from the amounts of profit and people you can have. And then it changes like the time of the year with how long they stay. During the summertime, I usually will do shorter stays because people are on vacation. And then I've been very um, aware of the financial situation, housing crisis. So in the fall and other months where it's not so busy here, I do try to have longer tenants, like for a month or three at a time. What's the longest time you can rent an Airbnb for? Is there a rule or is it just however long the owner wants to rent it for? I don't think there's like actual rules. Like you can set like dates and stuff, but I'm pretty sure as long as the time frames, if they have it extended, you know, if you can rent for as many dates without need. So the landlord can say, if the person says, I want to rent it for a year, you can do it. Yeah. At that point, that's where I haven't done the year on Airbnb yet, but that's where I would get more of a legal, like a tenant paperwork kind of drawn up to and involved just for legalness that Airbnb doesn't always cover with damages and stuff. But I try to convince people it's a lot easier to host tenants long-term or not just on Airbnb instead of having to find new tenants. But then it just depends on, are they available to you know manage it themselves or do they need help? Some people do this out of state. Yeah. And so when, when they are renting through Airbnb, let's just say they're staying for two weeks. I'm assuming they don't pay utilities or anything. They pay you a rate and all that's folded into whatever rate you're asking them for. Yes, correct. So if they're going to do a year lease, how did, how would that work with like utilities and things like that? So it'd still all be under my name. And, and that's what I like about with Airbnb because I'm actually dealing with helping um, another client. They have just a regular rental and they're trying to kick their t- client out or tenants that are, they are being evicted at this point. They haven't paid stuff. And all the bills are coming to the client now because the tenant didn't pay. It's just right. a hassle and legal fees. I mean, with Airbnb, since everything's kept under your name and pretty when you communicate through the platform, you have evidence of proof. So I just feel that's a nice, easy way to stay. Well, there's, a, there's yeah, there's accountability there and a documentation. Because yeah. I like to make it known too. I don't know much about real, like I learn as I go, which is what I like to show. You don't have to know too much, but you need the right resources. So you, as the owner of the house, have a relationship with Airbnb. Tell me a little bit about that for people in the audience who want to understand. You have a contract between you and Airbnb or no, you just listed on the platform. That's it. Yeah, I'm just on the platform and just started teaching people about it. And do you pay them a fee to list it on the platform? Like how how do they get compensated? Uh, they take service fees and they're getting higher and stuff. I used to be at 3%. I think it's like 14% sometimes with some of the listings these days. So 14% of the amount of the transaction or weekly rent or? I have to look again at the specifics, uh, but it takes us, it's a, it comes out of whatever amount that I pay. And then the client usually pays me too. There's ways to go around it depending on how you price your listing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, to make it a real business, I try not to make Airbnb like a one and done kind of thing. I'm assuming you might want to come back to Austin and visit again. So with that, I always rec- like we'll send people um, outside, not outside the app, but uh, you can message them after their stay. And mm-hmm. I always recommend just reach out to me next time to book. And that's where I'd have them just sign whatever my own paperwork. And you don't have to have service fees at that point. 
So when they pay you when it's through Airbnb, are they paying you directly or do they pay Airbnb? They take their fee and then they send money to you. Correct. It goes through Airbnb and then you usually get paid a day later if it's just like a short fee, I guess, day or they break payments out depending on the length of stays. So their fee is for the platform and providing you with a bunch of people who are going to see your property. Yes. And then essentially it's up to you also to help market. But yeah, that's their part, I guess. I definitely want to talk about co-hosting too, because I, I think that's a really cool idea for people that don't have the money to buy the real estate. I saw somebody talking about this on Instagram or something and I didn't know about it. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting, you know, because she had actually done really, really well by co-hosting. Oh, yeah. She had made quite a bit of money. So let's talk about that. And then I want to understand some of the key ingredients that somebody has to address to make this property successful through marketing and whatever other tools you recommend to people. Sure. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. So let's just tell me a little bit about co-hosting because I think a lot of people would be really interested in that because it has a low barrier to entry, right? You don't have to buy a house. Yeah, the most cost-effective way to get your start and to learn, for sure. So what exactly does somebody do? How do they get involved in this? How do they find out about it? How do they find someone to co-host with? How does that work? Yeah, so the easiest way that I always recommend to my followers and stuff is to just ask like a friend or family member You'd be surprised how many people have like rental properties or already have Airbnbs that they're just either empty or they're not making as much as they could with their tenants. It's an easy way to just go in. So I did with my parents. They were my first co-hosting client. I was like, let me take your rental property and throw it on Airbnb. I can definitely increase profits. I will do all the work. Like there's a win-win here. I like it. It gets another pivot for people too. You can do it while you're still working other jobs and just branch out to see if it's even worth taking the jump for, or if you want to bring it in as another stream of income before getting too involved in buying your own. So can someone who wants to do co-hosting, could they look on Airbnb and see other people who have yeah. you know, things they're listing and reach out to them and say, hey, I don't want to rent your Airbnb, but I want to co-host with you. Is that something people do? Oh, yeah. And it's so easy, too. There's um, forums, Facebook groups. If you uh, literally just go type in like Airbnb co-host it's a, in your city or wherever, you can also do it in different cities. You don't even have to be in the same state to do it, depending on how involved they need you, which I love about this. I love showing people there's just ways to effectively make money and automate systems that helps everyone and we all win. So what would be some of the things a co-host would do for a host? They'd uh, market it, interface with the renter. They're not physically, they don't have to physically go and 
like clean it or whatever? It's just, is it, it's more marketing and, and getting people in there. It definitely depends on what you have worked out with your host. But so normal co-hosts would probably do like what I do is very mid-tier. I go occasionally just because it's it was my first co-host. You know, it's my parents. So I like to be more hands-on with co-hosting like I was my regular hosting so I can really show the ins and outs. So you would actually be showing the property to people who might potentially be renting it. Yeah. So most co-hosts will usually just like respond to messages, manage the calendar. So if someone's trying to book or needs help with a booking or list, you know, you can go there. You can file claims if anything does happen. So basically I am the I'm the host at my parents' Airbnb. If anyone messaged or has any problems, it comes directly through to me. I, man- I message them there. Like this weekend, uh, we had a guest. Uh, the AC went out because it's so hot here in Texas. So yeah. I immediately, you know, sent them fans, and I told them we will send, you know, the AC guy repair out as soon as we can. Um, so stuff like that, like that's extra things that I decided I would help out with. Um, but when it comes to cleaning, I can schedule them, but I don't physically clean or set up. Some co-hosts can, but. Yeah, and so it's up to the agreement. So for being the co-host, what kind of money, you know, what's the split? What kind of percentage do you get out of the of the fee? Yeah, and again, it just depends. The most basic would be like 10% to 15%. I get 15% for what I'm doing. I think if you're going to be physically at the property, having to like actually talk to the guests in person or help with setting up, then you can go more to the 20, 25, 30%, depending. Yeah, because somebody has to make sure everything's in there, right? Like the toilet paper and the salt shaker and, you know, whatever else people use when they live in an Airbnb. Yeah, and it varies too, types of locations. Some are more luxurious and some are more basic. So that always plays into it too. So this is a really good side hustle just for people who are looking for something that you can start doing without having to plunk down a bunch of money to buy property. And Lauren, you have a website where people can, you can consult with them, right? And help them figure out how to do certain things. Tell me a little bit about what can people use you to help them do and how do they do that by going on your website or reaching out to you on Instagram and what are your services? So I have a array of services, but uh, mostly one-on-one coaching is um, and audits. So I can jump on a Zoom call with you. We can little answer any questions you have about getting into hosting before you even start buying properties, um, picking like furniture, ways to increase list, um, you know, how to make more money by just adding different amenities. And then if some people already have existing listings, they I do audits for them. They can send me their URL, let me know what problems they're having with currently. And then I'll review it for them. I will do some updates, whether it's pictures they need, new captions, titles, and make sure that they are making the money they should be. When people do this, should the expectation be that the Airbnb property is going to be rented out for a whole 12 months or that there may be a few months where not it may not be rented out? Like, what's the calculation that they should be doing in their head if they were to buy a property? So they have realistic expectations about the average amount of time an Airbnb property. I know it's going to vary from place to place, but what, you know, average, what would people think is good? Yeah, so I try to, yeah, to, so depending on where they are, I try not to discourage them on the actual, like, days of occupancy versus the cash flow and seeing um, 
like patterns in who's booking at what prices, what times and going off of that. But usually like 20, 25 days is good. Um, even less depending on if it's more luxurious, you don't need as many days. And then it also, again, depends. I have some clients who already own their houses. So everything is cash flow, and others who are doing like arbitrage or um, have mortgages that they have to take into account. Right. Right. And so uh, do people often do this with their vacation homes? Yeah, I see it mostly with vacation homes or just all the rental properties that people just neglect. And I just see it as we could make it better and everything like that. Yeah. So you got into this and have you exceeded what you made as a nurse and you feel like the sky is the limit? Like how, what's your next move? How, what's the building blocks to building your, your business empire here? Oh, yeah. Like immediately I could just see that real estate investing, just investing in general in myself, in business and all that was the moves to go. So now I, all the financial, everything up in the air, but I try to give myself once a year or two, I'm trying to buy another property to add to my Airbnb portfolio, just real estate portfolio in general. And I like spending my focus helping other people. I love giving back. And especially right now with how everything's going, the bans with Airbnb are happening more often. I like to show people there's ways to still have a successful short-term rental property without worry that you are going to have to foreclose or anything like that. So when you say bans, so that means like certain places now won't let people do Airbnb. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, certain cities are just like like neighborhoods are being bought up by like banks and corporations rather than like single family owners and investors like me. So yeah, so they're limiting it to yeah. yeah. Which I get as an investor and a buyer. Yeah, I was looking in Palm Springs and I know there are certain neighborhoods this is an issue in whether you can do Airbnb or not. I mean, I guess they don't want a constant kind of rotation of new people coming in through the neighborhood. I I, I don't know. Okay. So, but you still feel like the Airbnb short-term rental, even if you don't do it through Airbnb, there are other ways to market the property, right? So you, you don't necessarily have to do it on Airbnb, right? Oh no. And my favorite way being an ex-travel nurse, I'm in so many communities like Facebook groups and forums, again, is one of my favorite ways to find hosts or properties Uh, On there, sometimes I will list my listing and I'll offer a discount for nurses if they stay for two to six months. So it's a good way of giving back to my fellow healthcare workers, but also keeping my place booked. So it's a good way to compromise. Yeah. So social media is very powerful, right? Oh, such a powerful tool. I'm going to ask a really dumb question right now because this is totally, I mean, I can talk to you all day about stocks, bonds, and alternatives and Mm -hmm. investment strategy, but... What is the difference between Airbnb and VRBO? I think it's really just there's a fee, I think, to sign up for VRBO. But I think that's what people like about it. I, I find it funny because I've always thought that too. My parents, so I have I have an Airbnb that I co-host for them, but they only book vacations through VRBO. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at VRBO myself, but I thought, what's the difference between this and Airbnb? Like, was it only vacation rentals or... I think it's just, you know, like to have brand commenters like Nike and Adidas. It's yeah, just like, you yeah. like what you like. Because I'm like, there is, but I think if someone likes paying that fee, it makes them feel like they're getting better listings maybe. And Airbnb has so much backlash. And, and the fee, when I when I was looking at the VRBO, 
you know, it told me what the rental part was. And then I saw the fee, which added another like $900 to it because it was a nice house. And I was like, oh, well, wait a minute. I could go stay in a really nice hotel for the, you know, I I might as well just do that where I have room service. So in the end, I didn't do it. But the fee took me by surprise. I was like, whoa, they kind of hid that down at the bottom there. It is getting ridiculous with the fees. It's scaring a lot of people away too. And that's why it's a good time to... I'm helping people try to reorganize their marketing strategies and adjust to all of this going on. But yeah, it shouldn't scare them. It should just, you just have to change up your marketing and that's all. Right. So there's like, it sounds like there's a whole other world that's kind of side next to Airbnb where people are doing all this on the internet and they just actually don't need Airbnb to do it. It's going to be like a transaction between you and the person that's going to rent and there, there's no third party now. And that's what would be the dream. Yeah, that's why I like to, I'm looking for ways to do that. I know there are sites out there. But yeah, once you have like a, a, a tenant or guest from Airbnb, I like to just see them as a hotel guest instead. Like I'd like to find a way to just charge them the fee. Because I feel like a bad guy when they are checking out. I know they're going to see those fees. And then I feel like they don't know that I didn't add that in. Right. So it's nice when you can get rid of them. And just, I like when I check out, that's my price. Right, exactly. So when people are thinking about actually buying something or choosing a rental property, what should they be thinking about as far as location goes? Yeah, so it goes, I guess, into, again, like I always think about what target audience do I, am I trying to host? Who's my ideal client, I guess I'm thinking when I'm finding the place. And then, of course, like how much can I make with that? It's like when I bought my property, I... I wanted a one-story house just because it's always going to be a better option over those double two stories. Yeah, I wanted a big backyard. So eventually if I wanted to, I built a deck last year, I can add a pool and grill if I want to add more amenities, which could also lead to me changing prices higher. And it's in an area that's very central to the hustle and bustle of downtown, but also mm-hmm. it's quiet where it's in suburbia. That way I can host you know, families with small kids or pets. And then if people are more into partying, going out, it's a short Uber drive away. So you want to pick a place that is not off the beaten path, unless it's like a really unique thing that someone might want to, you know, that people are interested in doing. But generally, I think if you want a higher traffic of ongoing rentals, you need to have an idea in your head. So you're in Austin, you want people that, are going to either go there for vacation or maybe they may be there for work, you know, for a, a temporary thing, whatever. Yeah. And it gives them a lot of options. They can bring their family. They can also go into the center of the city and have dinner and, and, and have a good time. So when you're looking at where you're going to buy the property, you know, don't just look at the cheapest property you could buy or whatever. Try to really think about who's going to rent this property. Like who is going to want to rent this property and try and buy towards the type of people that you want to rent the property. You can also think of like, I'm trying to look into even buying land somewhere. I love glamping outdoors. You can even buy cheaper land places and put smaller like RVs or little tiny houses, sheds. 
There are also more affordable ways to make it a larger property. So you can host like 10 different people at one time. Oh, I love that idea. So you buy some land and you you start a glamping place. That's the goals I'm aiming for next. Because you can do so much more in a smaller space. You're also bringing a community together of similar people. Like I grew up hostel hopping all the time. So even Airbnbs, I like them, but it's I, sometimes I go for hostels still. So it's like, why not try to combine, but still keep it boutique without all these fees and stuff. Yeah. And people could really have a, a cool outdoor experience and then have a community of other people that they could meet, yeah. you know, while they're doing it. I love this idea. I, I was reading this article today in the New York Times. I don't know why what you just said reminded me of it. And this woman is such a great writer and so funny, but she was talking about how she went on this vacation that was marketed specifically to millennials. So for millennials that want to go on vacation and meet some new people and go somewhere they want to go. So they all went to Morocco and there were like 11 of them and they had all the activities kind of scheduled and all they had to do was show up and they met some new people and it was great and they enjoyed their time. So you could do like a glamping thing like that and that would be awesome. So you just buy some land and and make sure you can get permits. And I love that idea. That's very, very, very innovative. I think that's a cool idea. So when you're consulting with people who want, you know, your advice, you can help them with what? Like how to market it, how to furnish it, And then, you know, do you help them in choosing properties that they might want to buy or co-host? Is that part of it? Yes. um, I always let them know, like not a realtor, always double check. But yeah, they will send me properties. I always like to check out uh, other listings in the area too. I like to cross examine, see why are they making more or less? What do they have that you don't? And then just even basic things like helping someone just change out linens or add a different couch um, different art, light fixtures. It's amazing how just small things. When I added my deck, I was able to increase my price because I had a new seating area for people and it worked. And pictures are important, right? Because you're doing this all through pictures. So yes. if it looks Hiring amazing. A professional photographer is a must that if anyone takes anything away from this podcast, it will make or break your listing. Even if you have the nicest place, you have to have it just showing just right. You want them to be able to, you want guests who are booking your property within like five or eight pictures to picture themselves there. And once they arrive, it should look like that, if not better. Because I mean, I'm a visual buyer in person, especially with my ADHD. I look at things and then I read after, you know, if I even get to the words. So you want to make sure it's visually appealing, uh, full of SEO keywords, your titles, descriptions, uh, search engine optimized. That helps just marketing without having to do much work. Right, right. And do you ever do like, do people do Google ads or stuff on these things or? Yeah, so I always, I say that for more, I guess, advanced hosts or who have listings already up. I always recommend you can start an Instagram profile or account or a Facebook page uh, of your listing. For the property. Yeah, for for the the property and have them tag it. You can always add like Instagrammable wall art somewhere, hashtag it, just super. And that's not very uh, expensive. You can add just like some hand paint to the walls of art, have people like in Austin, I've considered painting some cowboy hats, like a nice outline of the city. So they can take a picture, post it. Again, social media is your best friend without doing so much work. It'll just pick up. And you could probably do a video touring the property and put that up and you could actually oh, yeah. see 
Yeah. So what are some of the amenities that people should have in these uh, properties for, you know, for people that are renting them? What are the essential amenities that they should have? Essentials that you must have, uh, smart TVs, Wi-Fi, even better if you provide your own cable and sign in for all the smart TVs. But mine's basic. I'd let them sign in, but I have basic high-speed internet and cable. Uh, You definitely need comfortable, at least one king bed, but comfortable beds, mattresses, linens, pillows, a good night's sleep will make or break your review for sure. And then just comfortable. You just want the essentials. Kitchen should be, doesn't have to be the nicest, newest appliances, but make sure you have enough silverware, drinkware for the amount, max amount of people you can host so they don't have to run out and feel not welcomed and enough seating to have everyone sit in different areas you know, furniture to put things away without moving in. And you, and these all have like laundry, like a washer and a dryer and all that stuff in them. So they can. Mine does. Some do not, but that's also a perk of mine. Um, I have laundry and dryer of stuff there and we don't require guests to do any cleaning, any of that. We offer, um, you know, nice towels and gift baskets too for people. Not a must, but nice idea. just leaving simple water bottles and snacks is a, it also thoughtful. goes a long way when you ask for that five-star review at the end of their stay. Yeah. I mean, think about what you, you know, what you would want when you go into an Airbnb, right? I'd love to come in and see a gift basket because we probably haven't gone to the grocery store yet. And, you know, maybe there's a snack or something. I don't know. But I think all that sounds exactly. really good. It's just the small, simple things. After I think of a long day of traveling, I just want some food. I'm hangry. I want to drink and just sit down. So water and snacks, all you need. And yeah, that's it. And let me ask you other, another question. What about insurance? If you're a landlord, what, like, what are the main responsibilities of the landlord? And do they need to carry additional insurance? How does that work in case somebody gets hurt there? What happens on that front? Yeah, great question. Yes, you definitely, uh, again, not the pro at insurance, but you will have to get a different policy for vacation rentals and hosting outside guests. It's like mine, I don't know the exact policy wording, but I know I can host at least six people at my Airbnb legally. And I have them covered for like bodily damages, property damages and all that stuff. Yeah. So definitely you'll need um, good insurance on that. But I think people get scared when they hear insurance and the cost. But if you're having a profit cash flowing business, it's it'll pay itself off. Yeah, it's the cost of doing business and you exactly. can't do it without insurance because you could lose, you know, you want to make sure you're covered. I think that alone scares people from not even buying houses. All people like, oh, but the insurance, I'm like, but you're, if you have everything else, like you got to just keep going. It scares so many people. Yeah, and if you do your numbers, like if you have a mortgage and you know what the mortgage is and you've done your research as to the location of where you're going to have your Airbnb and you know, like based on other people, I could probably rent it out X number of days a, a year and make X amount of money, then that's going to defray the cost of your mortgage and all the other expenses to doing it. So that's the whole point of this, right? Is to yes, get exactly. as much money in to defray the cost of owning it so that you can go on to owning another one and another one and yeah, another that's one. That's why I like my platform. I feel like it's just a lot of education and miseducation or not even no one knows anything about finances, investing, and loan. I barely do. And I know more than most people. So it's just crazy to me that we are supposed to go out here and buy houses and do all these things. But I don't, I mean, I'm a millennial. So I have to learn as I go. So I, it's interesting just to see how people, the lack of knowledge. Yeah. And I think, and I do think your point's well taken. I think a lot of people, especially now with these interest rates so high, 
you know, I, like you, was very lucky. I bought a house in 2020. My interest rate is 3%. You know, like, yeah. I'm never going to refinance that mortgage, I think. Uh, and I'm in no hurry to get out of my house and sell it, you know, because I'm never going to get a mortgage that cheap. So I think a lot of people get afraid by that. But it also means maybe you can, given the way things are going, you can probably charge more than you would have been be able before been able to do because there is a little bit of inflation there. And so people may be able to pass along that through uh, charging more. Have you increased your prices over the last couple of years or last year now that, you know, when inflation went up? Yeah, I tried to stay fair market pricing with like nearby hotels and stuff. But yes, I've definitely gone up on prices uh, definitely in the summertime, because I know people are traveling. You're saying it. I know they're already paying the inflation fees, and I have to pay my own inflation fees on you know my taxes and everything have gone up. So yeah, I feel like it's the cost of traveling, cost of owning a business, and I haven't had any pushback or anything. So so when you set your original, like when you're setting your rate, right? Uh, and then just so we can give some guidance here, you're going to say, okay, well, my cost of owning the property is X. I want to cover some of that. And then there's the insurance, got to cover some of that, utilities, whatever, all those expenses. And then little, you obviously want to make a profit. So what are the different elements that, like, how do you come to that original fee? Like, what are you thinking? What are the elements that you're putting into the numbers to come to that number? Yeah, so kind of what you said, a summary of I get there you know, what are your payments for the month? And then what are your goals that we're trying to bring in cash flow wise? And then once we come to a number, um, you know, I'd come to like a daily price by like averaging the cost of days. Sometimes I'll add in the cleaning fees to the nightly price as well. It's a great way to, you know, just psycho relate to people and not see a cleaning fee, but you still put into your prices. And then it'll kind of give you a base. So like depending if it's like a hundred something or $200 range, I consider that a more basic stay. Mm -hmm. So then I'll just give them, you know, the spiel of here's how I would decorate it in this way to make sure you're making your money. And if it's like a higher end one, they need to pay more. It's probably going to be a more luxurious in 500 something dollars or more a night. Then we're going to have to make sure we have, the more expensive amenities and everything to match that. Yeah, like linens and, you know, all that stuff so that yeah, people... Yeah, but still you can do it on a budget. But yeah, if you want, if you're expecting a certain amount, you will have to put in usually a certain amount. But it can be done creatively, budget-friendly. So do you ever use, or do people ever use property managers to help them? Or is that what really a co-hosting thing would be? So co-hosting will essentially take care of that property management. I think people actually get like, certificates and it's like a yeah no it's a proper career yeah, yeah so like that would be more like actually if you like have rent long-term more rental properties or a larger scale of things and you're like out of town if you just have a few properties and you don't feel like putting in because they take minimum like 30 percent uh but they do a lot more but if you're just running basic airbnbs you don't really need that. I think a co-host is perfect. And you can you have more personalized connection with them. You're more hands-on. Property managers, they're in control. Host, it can go either way if you have a co-host. So for the audience, I want to say the upshot is this. Lauren has made a business out of this. This is her business. This is how she survives. She isn't a traveling nurse anymore. And she was able to parlay this into like, you know, a business where she's 
making money, living a living her best life, doing better than she was as a nurse, and you know, enjoying it along the way. So, tell us where we can find you, how people can hire you, uh, and book your consultation services. So, if they want to get started in this business, they can, you know, pick your brain a little bit and find out how to do it. Yeah, definitely. Please reach out to me. The social medias, I'm mostly on TikTok. It's just Lauren Pillar underscore, I think my name. On Instagram, you can find me at Airbnb with Lauren. And I'm finishing up my website. Um, you can book calls with me for now through um, my stand store link on those pages. But Airbnb with Lauren.com should be up and loaded by like the next month or so. You can direct book services there. And more importantly, I'm hoping to have blogs and free resources and a podcast myself to just send out weekly info and help people get educated and start their own Airbnb businesses. Well, I think this is a, a great idea. And I'm so impressed with what you've done because, you know, you've you've made the transition. You, you're giving people advice on top of it. So you've also got a, another kind of business because you've learned along the way. And again, if you want to do the co-hosting thing, the barrier to entry is pretty low. You don't have to go buy a house. You can start by co-hosting, making some money, maybe saving it, and then you can go buy a house and just do your own Airbnb and find a co-host of your own. So Lauren, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your expertise because I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, wow, I think I want to do this. I think I might want to do this. I like this idea so much. I think it's a great idea. And I like it better than, you know, like I might think about buying a vacation home and that would be a great way for me to defray the cost of the vacation home. I can rent it out when I'm not there. And then when I am there, I don't have to rent it out. So instead of me getting a long-term rental person in there where I can't go in and use my property when I want, this gives you so much flexibility, right? And I think if you talk to Lauren, she's going to give you enough pointers that you, you know, you try and pick the best location and you can, you know, decorate it the right way and do all those little things that are going to get people to pay attention to what you're up to. And marketing is, you know, the main thing in everything in life, right? You can have a really good product that nobody knows about, or you can have just a kind of good product that everybody, you know, an average product that everybody knows about, and that's going to do way better than a great product that nobody knows about. So you have to know how to market. Well, any last words of inspiration to give to the audience today, Lauren, before you sign off? Just don't let fear or finances hold you back from anything you want to do. Be a little bit delusional and confident and things will work out. I love it. Have faith like she did. Look at her. Yeah, she's, she's, she's a baller now. So I love it. Lauren, thank you so, so much. And guys, thanks for listening. And until next time, I will speak to you then. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy.
After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.